Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to Luke's gospel, third gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're in Luke chapter one this morning. We're gonna look at verses one through 25, but in just a moment, I'm gonna read to you uh, Luke chapter one, verses eight through 17. So go ahead and find Luke chapter one in your Bible as we begin uh, this, uh, this series of messages. It's gonna take us quite a while, probably a year or so to, to walk through the gospel of Luke together, but I am just super excited about journeying through Luke's gospel together because I'm just excited about, about uh, learning more about Jesus, his life, his ministry, and his death and resurrection. And it's so appropriate we start, Luke, this morning as we're getting near the Christmas season. Uh, we, we will study over the next few weeks and Mary's calling. We'll study the birth of Jesus and the angels in the field and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just a great time to start a study of this gospel. And I think it's going to be very, very helpful for us. And so Luke chapter 1 is where we are this morning. Luke 1, I'm going to read to you in just a moment, verses 8 through 17. So go ahead and find that. If you did not bring a Bible with you, that's okay because in the chair before you down the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Luke. Luke chapter one with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke chapter one, uh, verses seven, or excuse me, what did I say? Eight through 17. That's what we're gonna read. We're gonna read that together in just a moment. So it is Thanksgiving week and I don't know what your plans are. Some of you, you're gonna stick around here. You have lots of family in your home and that's gonna be great. If you're like me, you're gonna travel just a bit and go see some family. Uh, but wherever you are, wherever you find yourself this Thursday, hopefully it's gonna be around people that you like and love and you're gonna share a meal. You're gonna share that annual tradition of turkey and dressing. We only eat it once a year because you know like I do that turkey's not really good. And so you have it this one time a year and that's gonna be it. But don't you wish... Don't you wish this Thanksgiving, or at least if you're like me, you wish this, don't you wish that, that on that Thanksgiving day, you got up and you smelled pulled pork, beef brisket, right? Smoked ribs. Can you imagine having a barbecue feast for, th now that's something to be thankful for, right? 
that's not going to happen, but that would be really, really good. And so, so, so when you and I think about barbecue, I mean, that, that really is a, a Southeastern cultural kind of thing. I, I lived in, in New Orleans for a number of years. And when I lived in New Orleans, when they said barbecue, what they meant was going outside and grilling hamburgers and hot dogs. You and I know that that's not barbecue. Barbecue is, it, it is, it is a gift from God, right? And it, it, is, it is absolutely wonderful. And, and depending on the region you're from, depending on what area of the Southeast you're from, I mean, some of you like the mustard-based stuff, which is not very good. Some of you like the vinegar-based stuff. I know, right? But, but you have your preferences and we get pretty passionate about our preferences. But the one thing we can all agree on is that, that, that on the seventh day, right before God rested, he made barbecue and it was good. And so we would all agree on that, that barbecue, it really is a gift from God's hand. And how we wish this Thanksgiving season, uh, we could have a nice barbecue dinner, but it's not gonna happen. So I read a story this week about a lady uh, who wasn't from the area. So she visited a, a, a barbecue restaurant in North Carolina and apparently she had never tasted before the goodness of barbecue. And so she sat at the table and, and wanted to experience all the goodness of barbecue to figure out what all the fuss about is down south about barbecue. And so she ordered a barbecue plate. I don't know what all was on the plate. Probably some, uh, some smoked ribs and some pulled pork, maybe some brisket. I don't know. But they brought the plate before her and it didn't quite look right. She looked at it and she noticed that her ribs were pink. She didn't understand. She didn't understand that when you smoke ribs for 12 hours, they get a little bit pink. That pink is what tells you this is about to be the best meal I've ever had in my life, right? You want that pinkness. You want that smoke ring around that barbecue. But yo, right? But that, 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 that pink, that smoke ring, she didn't know what it was. And so she called the owner of the restaurant to the table and said, hey, you got to take this back because it's not cooked. And so that owner tried to explain to her, this is what barbecue is. You're going to be fine. But she argued and argued and argued about how the meat wasn't cooked. So finally, the, the, the owner brought her some chicken instead that was not pink, but was just, you know, just chicken, which is not barbecue, but that's another story. And so, so she ate the chicken, but here's what happened. She got in the car to leave after she had that experience. And you know what she did? She called 911. I kid you not, because she thought that this restaurant was food poisoning people because they were not cooking their meat correctly. Obviously, she did not know what to expect when she went to a barbecue restaurant. Hey, here's what I know about you. You have some expectations, don't you? You have some expectations of life. You have some expectations of, of your family. You, have some, you even have some expectations of God. What do you expect from God? Now, now, here's reality. The reality, and, and some of you don't want to say this out loud, and, and maybe you don't think this consciously, but, but some of us subconsciously, we think this. You know what you expect from God? Not much. Here's reality. Most of us in this room are followers of Jesus. There was a point in our lives that we made a decision to give our lives to Jesus by faith, to trust in his death and resurrection. But even, now watch, even for, for many of us as followers of Jesus, we're a bit skeptical of God. We'll ask this question often. I mean, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, we ask this question quite often. Can God really? Can God really save my marriage? Can God really help me to overcome this sinful lifestyle that I seem to be stuck in? Can God really give me wisdom to make it through difficult days? Can God really heal me when I find myself and, and stuck in that disease? Can God 
really? We're quite skeptical. Can God really? Instead of saying, God is able to do far more abundantly than I can ask or think, we often find ourselves asking the question, can God really? And now listen, I want to just encourage you this morning. If you ever find yourself asking the question, can God really? Then this message is the message for you this morning. Because this morning we're looking at the story of a man who essentially asked, can God really? What I like about the gospel, Luke, is the gospel of Luke is the gospel for skeptics. I don't know if you know this about Luke or not, but Luke is is the only author in the New Testament who is not a Jewish man. He's a Gentile. And and not only is Luke a Gentile, Luke is writing to Gentile people. He's writing to people who are non-Jewish people who would have naturally been skeptical to the claim that a Jewish Messiah was the savior of the world. Luke is the gospel for skeptics like us. And, and, and as we walk through this story this morning, that's a familiar story probably for many of you. Now I wanna show you some barriers, some barriers that keep us from belief, some barriers that, that cause us, if you will, to be quite skeptical. And, and what I want to happen this morning as we talk through these barriers is I want these barriers to come down in your life. And I, and I want you to be a person who doesn't ask the question, can God really? And I want you to be that person that's able to say, God is able. So I want to look at these three barriers, but I want you to take your Bible right now and open to Luke chapter one and go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Luke chapter one, verses eight through 17. Listen to what the Bible says. When Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity we have as your people to begin together studying this amazing book of the Bible that helps us to understand that Jesus is the savior of the world and we can trust him. Father, I know that in this room this morning, there are those of us, even as followers of Jesus, who can be downright skeptical at times. And so Father, as we study your word this morning, I pray that you would help us to continue to know that you are the God who is able. We have every reason to trust you. And I pray this morning that, that, that if there are barriers in our lives that are causing us to be skeptical in our faith, that you would bring those down this morning. So Father, we trust now that your voice is speaking to us. Help us this morning to listen to your voice with hearts that are ready to receive your word and obey your word by faith. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, I don't have time this morning to get into all the details about the gospel writer Luke, but but he opens up his gospel to let us know who he is, 
and what he's trying to accomplish. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but when you think about the Gospel of Luke, it's, it's actually a two-volume work. You have the Gospel of Luke, and then you have the book of Acts. Luke wrote both these books, and, and both these books, they, they open up in the same way. Luke says something to this effect in the first four verses of this gospel. He says, I'm writing after a thorough investigation to to give you an orderly account of the things that happen. Luke wants us to know that he did his research. And we don't know exactly how he researched his gospel. Here's what we do know. When you read the book of Acts, we know that, that Luke was a travel companion of Paul. And so it's highly likely that, that Luke had the opportunity to rub shoulders with the apostles. He heard their stories. It's highly likely that, that Luke even sat down and interviewed people who were there, who saw it, who were with Jesus and touched Jesus and, and were alongside Jesus. It may even be that Luke sat down with Zachariah and Zachariah told him what happened when he was in the temple so long ago. It may be that Luke sat down with Mary and Mary told him about how the angel Gabriel visited her. We don't know all the details as to how Luke got his information, but what Luke wants us to know is that we can trust what he's writing here. That Luke is a historian. Luke, Luke is a, a researcher. He's an investigator and he's done his due diligence. He's done all that he could possibly do uh, to make sure that we have an accurate account of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and Luke says, I, I write to you, O Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus was. That name means lover of God. And it may be that, that Theophilus, the man this book is addressed to, that that wasn't his real name, that Luke is trying to protect his identity in a day and age where the persecution of followers of Jesus was, was growing. But, but it might be that Theophilus, this man that he writes to, was Luke's patron, uh, that, that, that Theophilus sponsored Luke's writings, that he gave him some money to help him to do his research, to travel around, uh, to do these interviews so that Luke could record for us uh, this gospel, this true story of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. But we have this gospel that Luke gave us and Luke just wants us to know that we can believe. And so he sets up the setting of the story. He says, it was in the days of King Herod in Judea. And I don't know what you know about King Herod. Around Christmas time, you hear his name, but you probably know this, that King Herod, he wasn't the rightful king of the Jews at this particular time. And this is so interesting. If you were to go back and, and study all this stuff, at this particular time, the Roman people, the Roman government was oppressing the nation of Israel. The Israelites had come out of exile. The Jewish people had been in Babylon for some time. And, and, and centuries earlier, God had released them from Babylon. And they came back in and they resettled the land of Israel. But when they came back and resettled the land of Israel, they were never as great as they once were. They were never the kingdom that they were in the days of David or Solomon. And now here they are in Luke chapter one, the nation of Israel is this, is this small nation that doesn't have much influence, that's overpowered by the Roman empire. They have a king that sits on the throne. His name is Herod, but he was appointed by the Romans. No one likes Herod. He's an awful man. Herod tried his best to impress the people. In fact, he rebuilt Jerusalem. He rebuilt the temple, but the people were very, very suspicious of Herod because of his association with the Roman government. And here you are in Jerusalem. And at this particular time, Luke tells us there's a man. His name is Zechariah. 
And for years, Zechariah has served as a priest. He and his wife, Elizabeth, they come from the priestly line of Aaron. And they're both elderly. We don't know how old they are, but, but they've been around for quite a while. And, and the Bible tells us that Elizabeth, she's barren. She's never had a child. And in that day, you probably know this, having children. I mean, you found your identity as a woman and, and, and having children. But, 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 but Elizabeth had no children. You can imagine that Zachariah and Elizabeth for years had prayed for a child and God never answered that prayer. And the shame that Elizabeth in particular carried around because she was not able to have children. And now Zechariah, this priest, finds himself in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there were lots of priests in that day. In that day, there were 24 divisions of priests. And those 24 divisions of priests, each division had about a thousand priests in it. So in ancient Israel in the first century, there were 24,000 priests approximately that served the nation of Israel. They didn't live in Jerusalem. They lived all over the area and they would come to Jerusalem from time to time to serve and minister in the temple. And so there Zechariah is, it is his time to serve at the temple. He comes there several times a year and when they come to the temple, they're ready to serve. But there's a thousand priests. One of the duties of the priest in those days was to go into the temple and to, to light incense on the altar of incense. But there's a thousand priests. Which priest gets to go in? Well, what they would do in those days, I don't know if you know this or not, they would cast lots. And if the lot fell on you as a priest, then it was your turn. And here's what happened. If the lot fell on you, you would get to go into the temple and you would offer incense on the altar of incense. Then you would come out and then you would never be allowed to do it again. It was one and done. When that lot fell to you, it really was a once in a lifetime experience to go into the temple and to light fire on the altar of incense. And after that, you had done it. It really was the pinnacle of your career as a priest to go into the temple that one time. And so here he is. Here's Zechariah. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the temple with his division of priests. There's a thousand of them there. They're ministering and the lot is cast. And it falls on this old man priest, Zachariah. And let's just be honest. I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but really this is all Zachariah had. He didn't have children. He had a wife, but you can imagine that his life, because he didn't have children, his life was his career. And he had waited for a day like this, a day like this when the lot would fall to him for years, for years. It had never fallen to him. But now in his old age, finally, after waiting year after year at the temple, the lot fell to him. And now he has the opportunity to go into the temple. I, wonder, I brought a picture and some of you have seen pictures like this before, but, but the temple, right? Can you imagine what it must have been like when Zechariah walked up the temple stairs he crossed the threshold and for the first time in his life, he walked into the temple. There was nowhere on earth quite like the temple. It was magnificent. King Herod was a wealthy king and he did much to rebuild this temple to make it the most glorious place on the face of the planet. And Zechariah, he walked into that temple and what did he see? He saw the walls overlaid with gold. He saw it. He saw the table of showbread. He saw the altar of incense. 
Now imagine that as he stepped over the threshold and walked into the temple for the first time in his life, his heart raced just a bit. He couldn't believe it. He was there. He was in the holy place of God. And as he looked up, he saw something else. He saw the veil. The veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And he knew, he knew full well what was behind that veil. He knew that behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. And he knew that once a year, the high priest had the sacred privilege of going behind the veil of the curtain. And he had the opportunity to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But, but, but while Zacharias saw it, he knew better. He knew better to not peek around that veil. He certainly knew not to go behind that veil, but he saw it. Can you imagine what it must have been like on that day? For this old man, who's waited his whole life to be in this particular place. And then he does it. He begins to do his duty. He walks up to the altar of incense and he begins to light the fire on the altar of incense. And he, he does what a priest is supposed to do in that place. He begins to pray. We don't know exactly what he prayed for. The Bible doesn't tell us, but you can imagine. We know what he has prayed for in his own life. In his own life, he's prayed for a child and God never came through on that promise or on that, on that prayer request that, that Zachariah had. But I imagine that now as he's standing in the temple at the altar of incense that he's praying for who? He's praying for Israel because he knows. He knows the nation in which he lives. He knows the oppression of that surround them. He knows the battles they face with Rome. He knows it. And how Zechariah longs for a better day. How Zechariah longs, right? How Zechariah longs for there to be a Messiah that would deliver the people from the oppression of Rome. Now, I don't know if you know this, but let me sidestep the story just for a bit. Do you know this? The last book in your Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And in the book of Malachi, in chapter four, verses four through six, God makes a promise through the prophet Malachi. And he says, there would come a day, there would come a day that God would send someone in the spirit of Elijah who would do what, church? Who would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And then after that, that prophetic word in, in the last book of your Old Testament in Malachi, God says nothing else to his people for 400 years. Here we are in Luke chapter one, and it has been 400 years since God spoke to his people through Malachi. God had, now watch this, so important. God has not said a word to his people for 400 years. And now here's Zechariah in the temple praying. This holy day for Zechariah that he has the opportunity to be in this holy place. And he feels it. A presence over his shoulder. And he looks and there's an angel. Now, the Bible tells us lots about angels. Uh, there's multitudes of heavenly hosts uh, that do God's bidding. But did you know this? That when you read your Bible, there are only two angels in the Bible whose names we know. The angel Michael and the angel Gabriel. And here is Zechariah in the temple and the angel Gabriel is there. And if you were there on that day in that place and an angel is standing over your shoulder, it's a scary day. 
And it says it right there in the text that Zachariah, I mean, he was fearful. He was terrified. Come down and look at what it says. Verse 12, when Zachariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, because your prayer has been heard. Listen, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. And there will be joy and delight for you. And many will rejoice at his birth. Do you hear it? For 400 years, God has said nothing to his people. For 400 years, his people have, have not had revelation from God. And on this day, when Zachariah in the temple is in the temple, do you know what he's not expecting? He's not expecting to hear from God. But God is a God who does the unexpected. And in this moment, in this place, God speaks to Zechariah, to the angel Gabriel, do not fear. Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going to have a child. John. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to get to John's story. And John's story is a fascinating story. In fact, when we get to Luke chapter 7, Jesus is going to tell us that no man lived on this earth who was as great as John the Baptist. Now, obviously, Jesus is greater than John the Baptist, but you know what Jesus was saying. There's no one quite like John. John's going to be significant because John is, and the angel Gabriel tells Zachariah, exactly what John is going to do. John is going to turn the hearts of the people back toward God. John is going to do exactly what Malachi prophesied in Malachi chapter 4. John, John is going to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. I mean, this is great news. And what this news reminds us and certainly should have reminded Zachariah is God has not forgotten his promise. God is going to bring about a Messiah. God is going to deliver his people. This is good news. This is great news. For 400 years, we have not heard anything from God. But now all of a sudden, the silence is broken. And now all of a sudden, God speaks clearly to an old man prophet. In the later years of his life, it says, you, Zachariah, you and Elizabeth are going to have a child. Now, what the story tells us earlier in the story is that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were godly people. They were righteous. They weren't perfect people. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but they had lived for God. Godly people who have lived for God should believe what God says. But in this moment, when Zechariah hears this an amazing word from the angel Gabriel, he's very skeptical. Look at what happens. You come down and you look what the passage says. You come down to verse 18. How can I know this? Like Gabriel, you're going to have to give me some kind of sign, which is kind of odd because an angel standing right beside you should be sign enough. But for Zechariah, it's not. How can I know this? And look what he says. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now I'm reading from the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible translation. You might be, be reading from a different translation this morning. Uh, but, but I just want you to know that when, 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 when my Bible says my wife is well along in years, that's a very polite way of saying what Zechariah actually said. What Zachariah actually said is, Gabriel, I'm old and my wife is really, really, really old. Come on, Gabriel. You know this ain't possible. I mean, did you stop by on your way to Jerusalem? Did you stop by and visit? Did you see her? I mean, did you see how old? Did you look at her wrinkles on her face? I mean, do you understand? 
This ain't possible. Do you know how old my wife is? I mean, I'm old, but man, you see her, check her out. You got the wrong couple. And there's Gabriel, an angel of God, looking at this godly man who is struck in the moment with disbelief and skepticism. Look what the text says. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Wives, I know some of you would like for your husbands to have nine months of silence, wouldn't you? But that's exactly what Zachariah got. Gabriel had just delivered Zachariah some great news that God was about to unfold his plan of salvation. And Zechariah was going to be a part of it in a very significant way. He was going to have the child that would prepare the way for the child, the anointed King Jesus. Talk about good news. But because of his disbelief, Zechariah couldn't even share that good news. He walked out of the temple stricken with silence. What the Bible tells us is that, that people outside were waiting. He'd been there a very long time. Shouldn't have taken that long uh, to, to light fire on the altar of incense. They're waiting. Where's Zechariah? And he comes out. And when Zechariah comes out, man, he's got this good news. Now, I wasn't there. You weren't there. But this is one of those scenes that, that when we get to heaven and we're in God's media room that we hope we're going to play back on the DVR, right? Because I want to see what it must have been like for Zechariah to walk out of the temple. He had just been in the holy place, an event he had waited for his whole life. And he had just received this message from the angel Gabriel, a message of good news that God has spoken for the first time in 400 years. And he walks out and he moves his mouth and nothing comes out of his mouth. He's trying to communicate what had happened, but he can't communicate anything. But the people know something must have happened in there. He can't speak. He must have had a vision from God. And in time, Zechariah goes home. And again, we weren't there. The text doesn't give us all the details, but you can imagine what it must have been like when Zechariah walked in the door for the first time. He's been away in Jerusalem for a couple of weeks and he comes home. He's ready to see his wife and he opens his mouth because something had happened in the temple, but he can't tell her what had happened. He can't say a word. But in spite of his inability to say a word, he and Elizabeth conceive a child. Oh, and Elizabeth, she believes. Look at what it says. You come down and look at verse 24. And after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived and, and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away, look at the word, my disgrace among the people. You see, in those days, if you were a, a, a woman, or a, a man for that matter, and, and as a couple, you were unable to have children, something was wrong with you. And, 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 and you were disgraced among people. And you can imagine how you might start blaming yourself. What did we do to deserve this? But on this day, when she finds out that she's pregnant, God has taken away my disgrace. Isn't it interesting to you? If anyone should have believed the word of the Lord, it was this godly old priest, Zechariah. 
But the story of Jesus in Luke's gospel, it opens up with an unexpected skeptic. Here was a priest, a believer, a good believer, a righteous believer. Yet when God speaks to him through the angel Gabriel, he doesn't believe. He's skeptical. You've been there. You've been there in your life too. There's moments of skepticism as a follower of Jesus. So here's the question. I just want to deal with this for a few minutes before we take Lord's Supper together. What are the barriers? What, what are the barriers that keep us from believing? What are the barriers that cause us to be skeptical? Let's go fast. Let me show you the first one. I focus on my limitations and not God's limitless power. I mean, you see that in the text, right? That when the angel Gabriel speaks to Zechariah and says, you will have a child, his first response is what? doubt because of his limitations. Do you know how old I am? And do you know how really, really old my wife is? It cannot happen. You see, you know this, that God is a, 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 an infinite God who is all powerful. But for some reason, you and I have the tendency to think that God cannot overcome our own limitations. And so we'll say things like this, and they're just excuses. God can't use me because, because I'm older. My time's done, right? I've given my best years and it's time for that next generation to be used. Now I'm just putting me out to pasture and it's done, right? Or think about this. I mean, I'd like to be a better student of the Bible. I'd, I'd like to know more, to study more. I mean, I'd like to have, you know, the, the theological prowess of that person over there or to be like she is with all her theological knowledge. But I'm, you know, I, I just don't have the time. I'm not a good reader. And, and you just begin to put limitations on yourself. Or I'd, I'd like to serve and, and be like that person over there and how they use their gifts and abilities, but I'm just not that gifted and I don't have those kinds of abilities. I'd like to be a part of that, that international mission team, but I just can't do that. I can't leave my family. I don't like to fly. I just can't. And so what you and I do is you put all kinds of limitations on yourself, not understanding that every limitation you put on yourself, God is more than able in his power to overcome those limitations. And all those limitations are, right, that you talk about in your own life, all they are, they're excuses for you not serving God. And those limitations that you put on yourself, in fact, they are sinful because you're saying God cannot. God cannot use me when there's nothing further from the truth. Or think about this. You say, God can't use me because, or God won't use me because. Pastor, you don't know. You don't know my dark past. You, you don't know that tragedy that I went through. You don't know how heinously I involved I was in sin. God won't use someone like me. You see? And what we tend to do, and this is the barrier. This is the barrier that creates skepticism in our life. We, we put these limitations up and we say things like, I can never, or God can never. Because of this or because of that, God can never. It's just not true. I brought a picture I wanted to show you. And some of you remember this because I talked about years ago. This, back when my kids were little, little. And, oh, were they cute? They take after me. So, so if you remember, Luke, years ago, he wanted a pet lizard, Right? Like nobody wants a pet lizard in their house, but Luke wanted a lizard. And I don't even remember this, but I even talked about it from the stage years ago. Like I'm not having a lizard in my house, but when Luke turned seven years old, we found ourselves at a reptile show and we got him a pet lizard. And he had that pet lizard in his house. About a month or so ago, that lizard went to be with Jesus. I know, isn't that sad? 
We took care of him the best we could. We fed him, and, but I mean, he had a good and happy life, but, but he went, went to meet his Lord and all that kind of stuff. And so, so, so Luke was petless. He had no pet. Now, at one point in our marriage, I said, we will never have a lizard in our house. Well, we had a lizard. About a month or so ago, we were here at the church for our trunk or treat. And at our trunk or treat was Pastor Trey's wife, Kelly. <laughs> Kelly had a bunch of cockroaches that are her pets. Now, here's what Stacy and I do. We pay somebody to come to our house once a quarter to kill roaches, right? <laughs> I don't want a roach in my house. I will never have a roach in my house. Luke saw those roaches. Daddy, can we get a pet roach? No, we can't get a pet roach. We, roaches aren't pets. We're not having a pet. But between him and Trey and Kelly, somehow I end up in my car on the way home with a roach in my car. So on the way home, and Stacy wasn't there. So, so, so it's all on me. Luke Hudson was homesick. And so on the way home, I called my wife. Stacy, you're not gonna believe what we're bringing home this afternoon. We're bringing home a pet roach. To which she said, turn the car around now. <laughs> to which I didn't listen. So now in our house, Luke has a pet roach, right? Hey, hey, here, here's the deal. And if you're a parent, come on now, come on. If you're a parent, here, here, here's the deal. If you're a parent, at some point as a parent, you've probably said, I will never. And then as a parent, come on now, I know I'm not the only one. At some point as a parent, you ate those words, right? Listen, listen, that's a kind of silly analogy, but when it comes to things of God, here's what you should never say to God. God would never. You see, God is limitless in power. And God wants to do in your life a work that is beyond your explanation. But we oftentimes say, God could never, I would never putting all these limitations on God, put limitations on ourselves. that is a barrier to belief that needs to come down on in your life because God is more than able to do in your life far more than you can imagine or think. We gotta move. I focus on my limitations and not God's limitless power. Here's another barrier we put up before God and it becomes a, a barrier to belief. I focus on my disappointments and not God's guaranteed promises. What Zechariah had forgotten was there was going to come a day that God unfolded his plan of salvation. This was guaranteed to happen. It was guaranteed that God would send a man named John the Baptist who would prepare the way for another man, the God man, Jesus Christ. That was God's promise. It was going to come to fruition. But here's reality. Zechariah and Elizabeth too, for that matter, oftentimes could not see past their own disappointment to understand what God was up to. Can you imagine how disappointing it was to go their whole lives not having children? Can you imagine how disappointing it was for Elizabeth to see her family members and friends all have children and she never had any? This becomes an obstacle for us. Because some of us, now come on now, and I, and I, and I, and I don't mean this at all to, to belittle your situation or, or to, to demean your situation, but, but, but here's what happens for us, right? That we go through disappointing seasons of life and then we, in our disappointment, get stuck in those seasons of disappointment. And that disappointment that we've gone through or that disappointment that we experience clouds everything about us and clouds the way we see God's work. 
Because what happens in seasons of disappointment is we begin to play the blame game and we begin to lay blame at everything instead of focusing on what God may be doing in spite of our disappointment. Do you see what I'm saying? What disappointment does is disappointment becomes a barrier to belief. I'm so disappointed in life and how my life has turned out that there's no way that God can bring me out of these disappointing circumstances. He cannot end this disappointing season. And we forget God's guaranteed promise that He is faithful to complete in you exactly what He started, you see? And so here's what happens. When you're disappointed, you start to blame. You blame the thing that disappointed you. You blame your kids, you blame your husband, you blame your wife, you blame your job. You, you blame yourself. How many times do you think Zach Ryan and Elizabeth blame themselves, right? What's wrong with us? Why won't God bless us with a child? Or think about this, you blame the world. Man, what's wrong with this world we live in? Nothing can ever happen for us. And what you fail to do is you fail to realize that God is at work even in the seasons of disappointment. All I'm saying to you this morning is that these barriers you tend to erect in your life. That God is faithful, God is powerful, He's limitless in His power, His promises are guaranteed, but, but that, that barrier of your own limitations, that barrier of your seasons of disappointment cause you to take your eyes off of the greatness of God. And some of us in this room this morning, we need to, to, to have our perspective of God renewed yet again to see that He is the God that is able. I want to show you one more barrier and we're, we're done. I focus on my religious obligations and not God's transformation. Forming word. Let me explain what I mean by that. You had Zechariah. He's in the temple. And what is he expecting to do in the temple? He's expecting to fulfill his religious duty. And rightly so. He should have fulfilled his religious duty. So he's supposed to do as a priest. He's in there doing his religious duty. And the last thing Zechariah expected in the play. Now watch, it's so fascinating. He's in the temple. He's in that place that symbolized for the Jewish people, the very presence of God. He is in the most holy place on the face of the planet. There's nowhere on earth quite like the temple. And in that place, in the place of God, in the place that symbolized the very presence of God, the last thing that Zechariah actually expected was for God to show up. And here you are this morning. You're in a room like this with believers in Jesus Christ, the church, the gathering of God's people. And for many of you, you come to a place like this every single week. But you come only as a, out of a sense of religious duty or obligation. And the reality is, come on now, and you wouldn't say this out loud, uh, but, but, and you might not think this consciously, but subconsciously, some of you are thinking this. You don't expect God to do anything while you're here. You don't expect God to show up and powerfully work in your life week in and week out. And so I just want you to ask yourself a few questions, right? One is, is why are you here? Why is it that, that you involve yourself in the life of the church? Why is it that you walk with the Lord? Why is it that you involve yourself in the Christian faith? Because you actually believe that God is at work and wants to do something in your life? Or is it just a sense of, well, it's just the right thing to do? Why are you here? And, and, and what do you expect from God? 
Do you expect God to stay silent and not bother you, to leave you alone? Or do you actually expect God to do what he wants to do in your life, to speak to you, to transform you, to change you? And, and what does God want from you on a day like today? I'll tell you what he wants from you. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. He does, ne- he does not want you to leave a place like this the corporate gathering of the saints of God. He does not want you to leave this place in the same way that you came in. God is a God who is always at work in the lives of his people, right? And for you, oftentimes that barrier to belief is just a sense of religious duty. I go to church because it's what I'm supposed to do. I'm involved in the things of God because it's what I'm supposed to do rather than understanding. No, no, no. God has invited you into a relationship with him, a relationship in which he wants to change your heart and transform you. So my question for you, as we end our time together, are are these barriers standing in your life in the way of the faith that God wants you to have? And maybe this morning, as we end our time together, is confessing, God, I place far too many limitations on what you can do in my life. Forgive me. God, I let my disappointments reign and rule over me instead of letting you reign and rule over me. Forgive me. God, I go through religious motions. I go through religious duty. I don't really expect you to do much in my life. Forgive me and show me otherwise. Maybe for you this morning, before we share the Lord's Supper together, you wanna come and ask God to break down those barriers in your life. What I love about the gospel of Luke is the gospel of Luke is the gospel of belief. You see, the gospel of Luke, it is, it is pointing us to the cross of Jesus Christ. He's, Gabriel is saying to Zechariah, believe. Gabriel is saying to Mary, believe. And God is saying to you, believe. Believe that 2,000 years ago, God spoke He spoke to Zechariah. He spoke to Mary. But not only did God speak, God acted. God brought forth a man named John. And God brought forth the God-man, Jesus Christ. And this God-man, Jesus Christ, really did live on this earth for you. And then he really did go to a cross and die the death that you deserve, suffering the punishment for your sins that you deserve. He really did that for you. He really did shed his blood for you and he really did rise from the dead three days later so that you can receive the gift of life, abundant and eternal. And this morning, if you'll turn from your sin by faith, if you'll believe that Jesus died for you and rose again, and this morning by faith, if you repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus by faith, he will gloriously and forever save you. He will change you if you allow the Spirit of God to work in your life in the way that he desires to work in your life. Do you see? Luke is just telling us over and over again, believe. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're watching online, you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're online this morning, there's gonna be a number on your screen. Text the name Jesus to that number. And this morning, we wanna help you to begin a relationship with Jesus. You're in this room this morning and God is telling you to believe. Believe on his son, Jesus Christ. In the corners of this room are two crosses. Maybe as we have a time invitation, you wanna step to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there at that cross waiting for you to pray with you and to help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. Today, believe the good news that Jesus has come to rescue you from your sin and give you life everlasting. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for time in your word. And Father, in this room this morning, for those of us who maybe are a bit skeptical this morning, 
Would you please bring the barriers to faith down? Would you forgive us of our skepticism and remind us yet again that you are a God who is able to do more than we can imagine or think? And Father, for that person in this room this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in you, I pray that person will come trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives this morning. So Father, have your way now, I ask. and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you rise to your feet as your time invitation together? You come now as we sing together.